48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Donald Trump prematurely claims victory in the US elections, even though millions of votes have yet to be counted. Rival Joe Biden insists he's on course to win, though a final result may not be known for days. And Cathay refuses to budge on its demand for all staff to sign new contracts by midnight. The outcome of the US presidential election remains on a knife edge. Millions of votes are still to be counted, but President Trump has already claimed to have won and vowed to launch a Supreme Court challenge alleging fraud. His challenger, the Democrat Joe Biden, said he was on track to victory. But the final result could take days to be decided, while early and postal ballots are counted in swing states in the Midwest. The BBC's Nada Tofik has this report. Ballots are being counted across the country as this race is too close to call. At it was a tense night of waiting as boats in key battleground states slowly trickled in. As you can see, people are still voting in much of the country. The lines have been long all through the day. Donald Trump picked up early wins as polls once again underestimated his support dashing Democrats' hopes of a blowout win for Joe Biden. The president's campaign feels very, very confident about Florida. Absolutely confident. So let's put that in the Trump category. Georgia. The evening ended without an announcement of a winner, the consequence of record turnout and a massive mail-in ballot operation due to COVID. It is important that every vote is counted. Any suggestion otherwise is patently false. Now, this election could come down to the Midwestern states of Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. The so-called blue wall that crumbled in 2016 that Joe Biden has been trying to build back up. At his drive-in election night party in Wilmington, Delaware, the former vice president swung by in his motorcade after watching the results from home. He told supporters that he was on track to win. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. Yet at an indoor event at the White House, President Trump threw the race into further uncertainty by falsely claiming victory and threatening a legal battle. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We will win this, and we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. While millions of legitimate votes remain uncounted, the president cannot credibly claim to have won the election, and there is no evidence of fraud. The Biden campaign in a statement said the president's comments were outrageous. It may be days until the outcome of the election is known, but already it's shown the deep divides in America will be hard to overcome. Counting is still underway for many congressional seats and final results aren't expected until later. It is, however, looking like the Democrats face an uphill battle in trying to take control of the Senate. They have so far gained one seat, Colorado, and U.S. media is predicting a win in Arizona. But the Republicans have taken a seat from them in Alabama. The House of Representatives is expected to stay under Democratic control. Locally, Cathay Pacific says a majority of staff have elected to sign new contracts that will permanently slash their salaries and benefits, ahead of a deadline set to pass shortly. As Jimmy Choi reports, the airline's flight attendants union failed to secure any major concessions in a meeting with management representatives today, which was mediated by the Labour Department. 
The Cathay Pacific Flight Attendants Union have been lobbying for the airline to make the pay cuts temporary, extend the deadline to sign new contracts, and provide redundancy packages for those who elect not to sign. But Cathay refused to budge to the disappointment of Union Vice Chair Amber Soon. The company turned down each and every of our demands. They have no sincerity in answering and extending the deadline or to make it a temporary contract. In a statement, Cathay said it's grateful to the majority of cabin crew who've signed the new contracts, which is described as being very market competitive. It stressed that the restructuring of the airline, which included thousands of layoffs and the axing of Cathay Dragon, would protect as many jobs as possible, while creating a more focused, efficient and competitive business for the post-COVID travel reality. Union Chairwoman Suki Wong says the priority will be supporting members who aren't going to sign the new contracts, and no industrial action is being planned. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Prosecutors have slapped another sedition charge against detained pro-democracy activist Tam Tuck Chi. They say he conspired to utter seditious words by passing someone a microphone so they could also shout some slogans. Candice Wong reports. Mr Tam, who is accused of inciting hatred and contempt against the government, was already facing 13 other charges, including uttering seditious words himself, holding an unauthorised assembly and refusing to obey a police officer's order. But now West Kowloon Court Chief Magistrate So Wai Tag has agreed for the extra charge to be laid against him as well. The prosecution claims the vice chairman of People Power passed a microphone to another person for the purpose of slogan chanting at a street booth in Mongkok on July 4th this year. The other alleged offences are said to have taken place in various parts of the city between March and July. Among other things, Mr Tam is alleged to have used slogans such as Liberate Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times and Five Demands, Not One Less. The police have denied launching an attack on the media with their arrest of an RTHK producer who worked on documentaries about the Yunlong gang rampage last year. Bao Choi has been charged with violating the road traffic ordinance in relation to vehicle registration searches to find the owners of vehicles seen carrying some of the suspected perpetrators of the violence. Francis Sitt reports. Pan-democratic lawmakers, academics and several journalist associations have expressed alarm over Ms. Choi's arrest and question whether the police are trying to clamp down on freedom of the press. But speaking on an RTHK program, the head of the Force Public Relations Branch, Chief Superintendent Kwok Ka Chun, said the police respect press freedom and understand public concern over the arrest. But Mr Kwok said officers were obliged to follow up the case. If someone violates the law, the police must take action, he said. Security Secretary John Lee also defended the police action, saying it was never the intention of the force to attack the media. If police receive a complaint, they have to act accordingly and do the investigation according to what the complaint is all about. Meanwhile, pro-Beijing lawmaker Michael Teen has criticised the Transport Department for effectively outlawing the journalistic practice of searching for car licence plates, highlighted by the case of RTHK's Bao Choi. The Journalists Association says the department changed a form last year, taking away the option for searchers to write in the purpose of their search. Mr Teen says the three options now on the form don't include the act of reporting. He says this affects press freedom, and the change wasn't done in a transparent way. All I know is that to protect public interest, 
and to have so-called press freedom, checking on something like a registration of license plate is probably the simplest thing that any jurisdiction in the world will allow. But more importantly, Hong Kong has always provided that. If there's going to be any kind of an intentional change through administrative means, it should be done properly and not in this kind of very unnoticeable, discreet way. A fund set up by former chief executive C.Y. Leung says it's filing a judicial review over the buildings department's decision not to demand pro-democracy legislator Claudia Mo dismantle suspected illegal structures at her luxury home. Timmy Sung reports. C.Y. Leung's group HO3 funds, which was set up last year to collect information about anti-government protesters suspected of committing crimes, says Claudia Mo hasn't been using the basement of a Repulse Bay Row home for parking as intended. It says it had been modified for residential use after being fitted with windows and doors. Ms. Mo's husband has been listed as an interested party. The former CE's groups also alleged that the modification was unauthorized, saying therefore the department has the right to take enforcement action. It said it had twice asked the department to do just that, but was told that officers refused to issue a removal order as they did not consider the structures in question to pose any obvious hazard or imminent danger. Responding to the legal action, the council runs lawmakers has actually been paying government's rent on the property since it was acquired in 1985 and doesn't understand the allegation of illegal structures. The High Court has ordered the immediate release of a 32-year-old man who was jailed for eight months in June for possessing a petrol bomb and a laser pointer. The magistrate in the original case didn't take into account that the man only has an IQ of an 11-year-old. Timmy Sung again. Lee Kaifat was arrested at a light rail stop in Trimun in January after a petrol bomb attack on a police station in the area. He pleaded guilty to possessing offensive weapons and was jailed in June. But the High Court heard how the magistrate in the case had failed to take into account Mr Lee's intellectual disability as a mitigating factor. The judge ruled in Mr Lee's favour and ordered his immediate release, saying he had already served more than four months behind bars and keeping him there any longer could affect his rehabilitation. The judge said he would provide more detailed reasons for his decision at a later date. The police have arrested six people for their alleged roles in a $95 million fraud scheme involving the sale of gold bars. One of the alleged victims claimed to have lost as much as $22 million. Wendy Wong has the story. According to officers from the Commercial Crime Bureau, 20 people have bought 279 kilograms of gold bars from an investment company run by a syndicate. Each gold bar was worth around $300,000. The victims were then asked to lease the gold bars to a listed company for a guaranteed annual return of between 6.6 and 7.5%. They received interest payments for a few months, but never got back the money or the gold bars when the investment firm closed down earlier this year. One of the alleged victims is a Hong Kong resident, while the rest are from the mainland, including businessmen, lawyers and students. Police said some of them are educated and experienced investors. Superintendent Yip Wing Man appealed to the public to be cautious when they consider purchasing what are billed as low-risk investment products that offer high returns. Families of the victims of the 2012 Lama Ferry tragedy that claimed 39 lives may file a private prosecution against those responsible as the Department of Justice closed the door on further legal action. Here's Violet Wong. 
The government has revealed that the DOJ decided that prosecution would not be launched against any individual or company after the police submitted results of their investigation in 2015 and 2018. The families backed by Democratic Party lawmaker James Toe were informed of the DOJ's decision in a meeting with the police yesterday. Mr. Toe, who is also a lawyer, said they were told that there was insufficient evidence to launch further prosecution, even though authorities had heard new testimony from a Spanish engineer. He also said today that families of the victims are very disappointed and urged the police to offer a reward to appeal for more information. Mr. Toe added that the families are arranging a meeting with the DOJ to find out why it ruled out further prosecution. According to Mr. Justice Lund's uh, Committee of Inquiry report, it's very obvious that the construction uh, of the Lama Number no. 4 vessel and the inspection by the Marine Department have a lot of very unforgivable failure. And we feel that justice demands that somebody must be responsible for it, a criminal. The captains of the two vessels and two Marine Department officials have been given jail sentences in connection with the deadliest maritime disaster in Hong Kong in decades. 17 Marine Department officers found guilty of misconduct were disciplined by the Civil Service Bureau over the National Day 2012 tragedy. The Centre for Health Protection has reported three new coronavirus cases today, two of them linked to a group of people that went on a staycation at a Lantau Hotel last week. Wendy Wong has the details. A 26-year-old man has come down with the illness after staying at a Seaview holiday resort with other infected patients early last week. A 54-year-old woman who has also been found to have the virus is a relative of one of the patients linked to the outbreak. These two new patients bring the total number of confirmed cases in the cluster to seven. Hong Kong's other new case involves a woman who recently flew back to the SAR from India. Meanwhile, the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department says it's commissioned a company to test frontline staff at bars for COVID-19. From Friday, the testing agency will visit bars and hand out specimen bottles to collect saliva samples for testing. Mobile vans will also be parked in bar areas such as Central, Wan Chai, Chim Sa Choi and Mong Kok over the weekend to distribute specimen bottles to anyone who would like to take a voluntary coronavirus test. Officials are urging bar operators to arrange for their staff to take part in the testing scheme. A reminder of our top stories tonight, Donald Trump prematurely claims victory in the US elections, even though millions of votes have yet to be counted. Rival Joe Biden insists he's on course to win, though a final result may not be known for days. And Cathay refuses to budge on its demand for all staff to sign new contracts by midnight. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The US election has plunged into chaos after President Donald Trump prematurely declared victory and sought Supreme Court intervention to stop vote counting, even as his Democratic rival Joe Biden voiced confidence in his own chances of victory. While Mr Trump appeared to have avoided a Democratic wave predicted by some polls, he still needs key states to secure another four-year term. The Republican tycoon said he would go to the Supreme Court to, as he put it, stop the voting. RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans discussed his comments with Nicholas Gordon, the chair of Democrats Abroad Hong Kong, and Kim Kettler-Paddock from Republicans Overseas Hong Kong. I think that people who don't take Trump seriously don't like him generally take him literally, and the people who support him take him seriously, but not literally. He has made the statement that he believes he's won, but what he will be doing is following the process. He is not trying to stop the counting of legally cast votes. 
he went on to clarify is that he does not want people to find votes. So he doesn't want people voting after Election Day. And I think that we will follow the law on that matter. The GOP will certainly follow the law on that matter. And um, what about you, Nicholas? Well, you know, we're a democracy. And democracy is you have to count every vote. Um, and if you count every vote that was cast legally, um, mail and absentee ballots just put Biden over the top in Wisconsin, according to decision death. Um, and it's important to count every vote in Wisconsin, every code, vote in Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Georgia, every vote in Arizona and Nevada, too. Um, we need to know where the country stands between these two candidates. Now, analysts ahead of the election were saying that the central issue would be a referendum on Mr. Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Kim, do you think that's been the case? I think that's certainly been the Biden campaign strategy is to try to have as little focus on Biden's policies as possible and definitely try to make the referendum on President Trump. Uh, President Trump has, for the most part, held together the same coalition that he held in 2016. Obviously, there are a few states outstanding to see if that will indeed hold. But people are looking at two things, I think, COVID for sure, but also the economy. I think people are looking forward to what happens when COVID eventually is under control and they want to have jobs and a livelihood to come back to and they trust President Trump. To yeah, but un I mean, unemployment in the U.S. is higher than it's ever been at any point since the Great Depression and the, sure. U the U.S. economy is not robust. Uh, actually, it's rebounded 33% on an annualized average, the highest ever rebound in a quarter, which happened last quarter. We still are not at the levels that we had for sure. I think we've recovered two-thirds of the loss that came through as a result of the pandemic. But people know what the economy was like under President Trump. Median incomes went up higher in one year than they went up in the entirety of the Biden-Obama administration. Uh, people were lifted out of poverty, inequality lessened. So the pandemic came and put a stop to that. And I think Americans understand that's the pandemic, not the president. Nicholas? They trust him to build the economy up. And uh, Nicholas? Well, I think we have to, you know, again, we have to see how the results of this election pan out before we make any predictions about, or sorry, any analysis about what the American people want and how they feel about the issues. Um, I think it's pretty clear that, that the polls were off this year. I think probably all, more off than they were in 2016, which I think the polling companies are going to have to answer some pretty uh, hard questions from both parties about that. But I think in essence, what you have with this election is the, is the knowledge that President Trump is a polarizing figure. He activates those who don't like, he activates those who like him very much. Like, sorry, like him a lot, and he activates those who don't like him very much at all, which is what we've seen in this election. Um, Biden outperforming Clinton in suburbs and the cities, Trump outperforming even some totals that he had in 2016 in rural areas. So this kind of this is still a this is still a discussion on President Trump um, and the polarization around his his administration. Now, Kim, what about racial tensions following the police killing of George Floyd? played an impact. Obviously, the entire country was gripped by that for quite some time. I think that the counterpoint to the racial tensions was the riots and uh, the protests, which often cases devolved into riots, and the destruction of cities and property. And so what you saw is that in the early parts of the summer, people were very supportive of, for instance, BLM, but that that polling began to change uh, around August, September. And at that point, then you actually began to see the Democrat candidates as well calling out uh, people to stop rioting, stop burning, etc. I think the polling shows that people prefer Biden on the issue of racial tensions over President Trump. But 
saying that President Trump is expected to increase his share of the Hispanic vote, for instance, and also to potentially double his share of the black vote. Uh, Nicholas? Well, in the end, I think we have to we will have to see how the numbers shake out this election before we make any before we make any analysis of of what happened in this election. I think it is true that um, you can clearly see from the numbers in Florida that the Trump campaign made significant inroads with certain Hispanic communities, certainly in Florida and in Texas. And I think there are certainly questions that the party needs to ask, um, especially because you know, as if we believe, as I do, that our policies are better for minority communities, why this message has not been able to get through. But, you know, this is a question for, for the party as it, as it goes forward. I think right now, all I can say is, um, as Kim noted, you know, Vice President Biden, who's more trusted on the issue of, of race, his favorability ratings improved over the summer um, as he shared his comments and his thoughts around the social unrest. And so um, in terms of dealing with that one crisis, of which America is dealing with several at the moment, um, as far as the polling shows, the voters trust Vice President Biden to deal with that more effectively than President Trump. So, as the drama unfolded in the US, how did people here in Hong Kong react to the tight race? Personally, I think I would, if I have a vote, I would may vote for Biden because I have been seeing the chaos in the past year or even, even past few years. I think I would like to have some more peaceful way for things to to work out between countries in the world. In terms of the um, Sino-American rivalry, Hong Kong is like sitting in between. Maybe if Biden wins, uh, I mean the situation may get better in some way, not as chaotic as right now. Maybe if one one month or another there are bills targeting sanctioning official here in Hong Kong or even uh, making Hong Kong no different from China as they ask the Hong Kong products to be labeled as made in China. If we are to promote human rights in the world, I will support Trump instead of Biden because I think Trump is tougher than Biden on policies concerning human rights in China. After what happened in Hong Kong recently, the Trump administration made the list sanctioning Hong Kong and mainland officials. But Biden didn't say much about all that. I don't support Trump yeah, because I think his value has great problem. So I support the other side. I think he always lied to people, always uh, talking something, but, uh, promised something, but nothing be, become true. And um, all is nonsense for the other side. I'm not sure what they will do, but I think they will not uh, as strong as Trump towards mainland China. Therefore, maybe it will be better for the whole world. Cathay Pacific's flight attendant and pilot unions say they will join forces in their fight for better pay and benefits as they seek to increase their bargaining power after the airline refused to back down on new, lower-paid contracts. A deadline is set to expire shortly for staff to sign new contracts that come with substantial pay cuts or lose their jobs. The unions were unable to get management to give any major concessions. Our reporter Jimmy Choi covered the talks between the unions and gave more details to Priscilla Ng. It was a relatively short meeting, lasting for just about an hour, and the two unions said they're going to come together and strengthen the collaboration in the future. So the key purpose of the meeting was just to establish a sort of understanding between the two unions and making sure that they would support each other in the future, because the unions used to work uh, mostly independently in the past. Um, but they say because of these massive uh, layoffs with the Cafe Pacific this time around, they've worked together for a common purpose. Uh, to ask for better treatment for the members. So 
they uh, said they will have regular meetings in the future, and they also will work on many different uh, areas, not just on the redundancy matter or pay cuts matters, but also such as uh, or matters such as uh, working conditions and working practices. So, did they say what they're going to do next? Uh, no, they do not have any concrete plans about what, how they're going to take the matter forward uh, for the time being. But um, one of the unions, uh, the uh, flight attendants union, has made it very clear that they will not consider taking any industrial action in the near term because they think that the most important thing right now is to help those uh, staff who are not going to sign the new contract and are going to face unemployment from after today. And while the uh, pilot unions, uh, they will certainly consider uh, uh, taking legal action, but this is just one of the options that they would consider. So what is the flight attendant union going to do now? Are they going to sign this new contract? So the union leaders said they themselves would sign a new contract in order to stay on in the company and continue to fight for their members' rights. Because if they do not sign a contract, they will no longer be part of the company and their unions will have to be dissolved. So as to whether they think the members should sign a contract, uh, they said uh, they should pay close attention to the details of the contract and uh, to make their own decision considering their own circumstances. So overall, they don't consider their action to be a failure because they think that they have successfully united the members. They had a three-time meeting with the uh, cafe's management and also the labor department, and also they've laid the groundwork for further collaboration between the two unions. Operation Santa Claus is once again in full swing. The charity drive, jointly organised with the South China Morning Post, is supporting 19 charities this year. One of the beneficiaries is Treats, whose aim is to train ethnic minority youth as gamified sports coaches, helping them build self-confidence and resilience. Radio 3's Noreen Mir spoke to Chris Tong from Treats and Tina Wong, the co-founder of Social S. Having fun is one of the best motivators and we, we know game is the best way to do so and it works really, really well. We learn through play. <laughs> I'm Chris Tong, the executive director of Trees. I'm Tina Wong, the co-founder of Soso S. Congratulations, you're one of the beneficiaries of we this year's We are so excited. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on board. Tell us a little bit more about your project. This is a pilot project. I believe that it's the first one in Hong Kong. So the name of the project is the Sports Playout Train the Trainers Gamifies Sports Project for Ethics Maltes Youth in Hong Kong. This project combines gamified sports and the real work life experience for the ethics maltese youth in Hong Kong. So it's really fun, but at the same time they learn, they get empowered, and they have chance to really work and train to be the gamified sports coach. So they can serve the community, but at the same time they can think about um, being equipped, uh, and if one day they can be the coach, then they can really become a career in the future. Amazing. Now, I know this is very special because you're teaming up with another social enterprise yes. to bring a lot of synergy to your program. So perhaps let's bring in Tina Wong, the co-founder and the chief moving officer of Social S. Tina, hi. Hi, tell us about Social S. Social S is a social enterprise to use sports uh, as a means to do social change. How will these skills actually help these ethnic minority youths? Yeah, so their role will be uh, assisting the, the trainer um, to conduct a class. It will be a group format, so they will need to uh, to learn how to assist by giving um, instruction, 
coaching, uh, motivating, and also how to communicate. Yeah, and I think one of the other thing is they will learn a little bit about personal branding. So when you go to a corporate, when you go to be out there to be one of the coach, you need to present themselves well. I think it's, uh, it's the self-confidence and the communication skills that they will help them to equip themselves for, for the future. So you know how the young people nowadays perceive their knowledge, right? It's not through by listening to PowerPoints. They want to be out there to experience and, and they can feel the feedback and, and, and reaction from other people. So the life shattering section and, uh, is very important. We also scheduled a, a half year review, get together with them so they can, they can learn from their peers. So, so you might have an interesting experience with, uh, in Kuntong Community Center. Yeah. I may have a very interesting experience in KPMG, for example. So I think it's very, uh, helpful. So you'll be bringing these youths to corporate yes, settings. Yes, we are. We are. Yeah. We and are. We're we visiting are. different communities. So it's quite an open and lively interactive sections. And they will bring back to their schools as well. So you know that they're also minority groups in the mainstream school, right? Mm. So after they learned and being coached to be the Gamify sports coach, they will go back to their school and do a Gamify sessions with all their fellow schoolmates and classmates. So it was immediately changed the perception of their schoolmates as well. So we are really lucky to have um, the support from OSC. Well, we're really lucky to have you on board and best of luck. Thank, Thank you. you. That was Chris Tong, Executive Director of Treats, and Tina Wong, the co-founder and chief moving officer of Social S. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus 2020, please visit our website at osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to This is it. Moments to remember. Going all the way, way back. Welcome to the show.
Richard Clayderman at the piano. The way we were. Let's say hello to Jim. Jim Reeves. Thank you. 